Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Media Podcast Network. All right, John Anik is here, ladies and gentlemen, which means only one thing that we are knocking on the door of a UFC pay per view event, the first one of 2024, but the schedule is starting to fill up a bit. It all starts with UFC 297 in Toronto. John, Happy New Year, my friend. I hope uh, the statute of limitations hasn't passed for such a greeting. How are you, sir? Great to see you, buddy. Happy 2024 to you as well. And uh, this little respite that we have with the UFC schedule at the end of the year, whether it's entirely because of ESPN's college football package or not, it is welcome to our entire live production team and staff. But uh, I'm jonesing to get back out there. So Toronto it is in uh, a few days, and uh, we're ready to hit the ground running again for a busy uh, 2024. Yeah, during that time, it's like a it's like a roller coaster ride because half of the ride is a reflection on the year that was, and then the other half is all right. Now let's let's move forward. So going back to 2023, we we obviously talked for a lot of these cards, and it was just such a wild and unpredictable year. So when you're sitting on the couch watching the Patriots game 20 years from now, and one of your grandkids comes up to you and says, "Papa John, tell me about 2023 for the UFC." What are you going to tell them? Like, what's the first thing that's going to pop into your mind? Probably a Lex Pereira because I've been able to see firsthand over the course of six or seven UFC fights now and all the fighter meetings that have accompanied those fights, what hard work and dedication to a specific goal can do. And he has been of a singular mind. He has always been working, whether the cameras have been on him or not. And I think that willingness to improve has given him financial freedom and maybe even sooner than he expected to realize that in mixed martial arts. So certainly Alex Pereira becoming a two-division champion and of course, Islam Akashev, right? I mean, say what you want about the fact that his first two title defenses came against a featherweight or a non-traditional lightweight, but uh, this man is on his way to becoming one of the all-time greats. Of course, when you throw terms like that out there, you put that status on the line essentially every time you compete, but uh, it was a huge year. I mean, Adesanya's knockout of Alex Pereira feels like a lifetime ago. Of course, it was not far from me here in South Florida, but it was a memorable year, and you're sort of right. 2023 took on a life of its own because it was the 30-year anniversary, so there was a lot of reflection uh, my memory is not the go-to memory. That's Joe Rogan. That's Kenny Florian. So I'm kind of excited to spin it forward, but it was probably as memorable a year. I would say 23 was as, as any I've had on a UFC microphone. Yeah, it was, it was pretty wild. And I think sort of just the face of the chaos of it all was Sean Strickland in a lot of ways, because he, to me, he sort of like defined what 2023 was unpredictable chaos. Anything can happen in this sport. And after seeing like what happens the last couple of years, it's not like that thought has left our minds, but it definitely pushed it forward that literally anything can happen. You can never be sure of anything that happens in this octagon. And here he is kicking off the 2024 pay-per-view slate against Strickus Duplessis in the first pay-per-view main event. This 
has become this crazy rivalry because if you asked me seven months ago, what's going to be the big rivalry at 185, DDP is probably one half of it, but it's not Sean Strickland on the other end. DDP has just been entrenched in all these different rivalries, but this championship main event, it just seems like the perfect way to start 2024, considering what just happened in 2023, does it not? Yeah, no, I agree. There's a lot to unpack there. Sean Strickland is a tremendous case. And when you look at the win over Abus Magomedov in a main event, it seemed like when Drakus Duplessis was not going to be able to make the walk to fight Israel Adesanya, that Strickland really had a fairly ironclad case to get that opportunity that he obviously went on to maximize to become the undisputed champion. But I think lost in some of his bravado and outspokenness uh, is not just the talent, but just the fact that he stepped up repeatedly for the promotion, you know, even when it was fighting Brendan Allen on short notice, and maybe it was of benefit to Sean Strickland, repeatedly stepping up, putting his top four ranking on the line against Alex Pineda. So wicked happy for Sean. And I think he's a guy that can channel any emotion that accompanies this Drake's Duplessis rivalry in the right way. So I don't worry about him come January 20th in Toronto whatsoever. I felt like the harder time to, you know, survive and advance under the bright lights would have been in Sydney facing Israel Adesanya. And he was just completely locked in from moment one. I think I said over the last two weeks, several times, it's a telling visual when you're sitting there as a UFC commentator awaiting the champion, the challenger is pacing or doing whatever he or she is doing in the octagon. And Sean Strickland was ready to go. So I'm excited about the fight. You know, I think Drake is Duplessis is a little bit misunderstood. He's just kind of a truth teller. And sometimes his words maybe get spun a little bit, but, uh, I don't think there's really much of a bad bone in his body, uh, but he certainly talks the talk and man, has he walked the walk. I mean, singularly his win over Robert Whitaker last summer was as big as any in any division last year. So uh, dude, it's a hell of a main event. We don't even need anything beneath it. Yeah. That guy is just must see TV when that cage door locks, he's just pure energy. Doesn't stop. And now that he's got the nose all fixed. He's like this mythical creature all of a sudden. And this fight just has all the makings of an absolute bloodbath. And these guys have shown that they might not even make it to UFC 297 before the physicality rears its ugly head, because we already saw it at UFC 296 in the crowd. And I understand this is the fight game and this isn't a week seven of the NFL season game or anything like that. But Sean has, at least in a lot of people's eyes, cross some maybe moral lines and DDP as well has said some things. Like you said, he's misunderstood. Things get taken certain ways. And now you have two guys fighting in the crowd who are about to fight for a UFC title. You were obviously there. You weren't like in the middle of the skirmish, but what did you make of that whole situation? And like, when do things get too far in this crazy sport of ours? Can they get too far? Well, it's hard when it comes to the words versus the action. There's two different conversations as far as the words and perpetual line crossers like Colby Covington. I don't know where the line is. And sometimes I lose sight of maybe some of the trash talk over the years that has actually crossed that line in terms of the action, right? One example that I pointed to when Jeremy Stevens pushed Dracar close into a concussion, right? Unassuming Dracar close hands behind his back, right? In slides, those situations and situations like Sean Strickland, Drake is Duplessis in the crowd action. Those are far more dangerous and potentially devastating to me. Uh, yeah. In terms of the underbelly and the preamble leading up to UFC 297, will we repurpose that in the crowd, you know, altercation between the two, I would imagine the UFC would repurpose that, but you didn't lead with it because you're so excited about the matchup and what these guys bring to the table. You now, obviously you intimated that they both have value on a microphone and they do. Uh, but 
I guess I'm not the most sensitive guy in the world when it comes to the words. A lot of people have taken stances in terms of that line and really we should keep wives and families out of it. And uh, I'd be lying right into the camera if I, I said that I think there absolutely needs to be some promotional line drawn. I just don't know that, uh, you know, words affect me as much as actions like, you know, a Jeremy Stevens push. I love you, little heathen though. I love you. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Like, I mean, at this sport, even when Dana talks about it, it's just look, we get 500 maniacs on the roster. Like this is the fight game. This is, this is what it's all about. And to some degree, I completely agree with them, but yeah, I'm with you when it comes to, you know, the Stevens to car thing, which Stevens is always pretty intense in those moments. And two guys fighting in the, in the crowd during a UFC event, luckily Sean was nice enough to be like, Hey, guys, can you move out of the way to Gilbert ah. Burns's kids? But still, it's just, it's kind of a tough look, especially when I have, you know, other people who cover other sports and they te they're texting me and they're like, man, see, this is, this is what I always thought you guys were. They got dudes fighting in the crowd, but like Ron Artest was fighting in the crowd and it was this whole mishap and it was the worst thing that's ever happened in the NBA. And like, you know what I mean? Like it's, I, but I'm with you on that. Like it's fighting is a whole different Island, but it was just kind of weird seeing two guys fighting in the crowd. Now there's conspiracy theories that is quote unquote a work and all that. And I don't know. It drives me a little bit nuts. Oh gosh. That would be so over my head. There's no way it's a work, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm now wondering aloud the extent to which maybe we would lean into it because you are right. I mean, it certainly doesn't help you in one corner, right? You can't always serve all masters, but I guess in, in one pocket of the population, you're right that it doesn't help us. Uh, but that is so not the norm as you can attest as well as anyone, right? How often has that happened? Never right. Really between two guys who are about to fight as far as my memory goes back in that setting, right? A pay-per-view prior, it just doesn't happen. Now I can go to a hockey game and wonder aloud why all these people aren't buying UFC tickets because they don't get excited until the guys fucking fight, you know, <laughs> I mean, they don't care when they score a goal, you know, but all of a sudden, you know, number nine starts pounding away pound for pound and everybody's going crazy. So, uh, it is what it is. Uh, but you're right. I do think that, uh, those visuals are, are somewhat of an inconvenient truth now in the lead up to this fight, because a lot of people are going to be talking about it. When you say hockey fighters, it's PJ stock. I still have his Jersey sitting somewhere in my closet, uh, from those gnarly Bruins days, but yeah. Hey, look, whatever this, whatever, however you feel about the fight in the crowd and this whole build, middleweight is on fire right now. There's a lot to like here when, you know, we got to wonder when Israel's coming back. We when Hamza Shemaev is coming back, we got Robert Whitaker and Paul Costa getting ready to fight. There's guys like Brennan Allen, who's on a tear and Ikram Alaskarov, that dude's coming. Bo Nichols coming. 185 is really interesting right now. It might be the most interesting it's been in like the last four or five years, even during the Israel run where he was kind of a star. Like there's just so much depth to this division right now that, really hasn't been there at least, you know, in the present moment. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot yeah. of guys like Al Scarif is a monster. That guy is coming. Title shots could be really hard to come by. We were talking on our podcast this week that Ikram Al might be favored against, you know, a good chunk of these top 15 guys, even though I don't believe that he has the ranking that accompanies just how skilled he is. Middleweight's on fire, right? Brendan Allen, <clears throat> a guy who's rising and not just rising, but putting people away with a rear naked choke, right? He has a real way to get to that submission and put people away. So I certainly have my eyes on him. But if I have one wish for 2024, it's that Hamza Chimaev will fight for an undisputed world title and have the health that will allow him to do so because, uh, 
you know, I've been driving that train and certainly people have suggested that I have overhyped him. I'm just excited to see him eventually compete for a world title. And I do think 2024 might be the year, but Israel Adesanya is going to factor prominently in that equation for sure. And you don't know how it's going to go between Sean Strickland and Drake is Duplessis, right? Not to suggest that we would have those guys fight twice, but if the fight game has taught us anything over the last several years, when we got like a four pack in a series, you know, you don't get the clarity that's going to allow someone like Ikram Alaskarov to get a title fight as expeditiously as maybe his current situation in fighting prime would suggest he should. So, uh, but yeah, you're, you're wise to highlight 185 and, and there are names I'm leaving out as well. Your boy, Bo Nickel and everybody else. Co-main event, a new champion will be crowned at 135. Raquel Pennington gets her second opportunity to capture UFC gold. She's been on a roll and now she'll fight the very dangerous Myra Bueno Silva. This one completely flying under the radar, John, especially with the main event having the heat that it has. But how important is it for this fight to just happen and get some movement in this division that is no longer run by Amanda Nunes? Well, I have oftentimes bemoaned the fact that our sport is unique in the fact that you need style points and you need to maybe think about entertaining, not just during the fight, but on a microphone afterwards. Whereas if an NBA player doesn't want to do any of that, you know, especially a major league baseball player, you don't have to do any of that. I bring it up in this context because I think style points in the form of a finish would be hugely valuable as sort of a springboard for the new champion here, Raquel Pennington and Maida Bueno Silva, right? You don't want to be the guy that follows Joe Rogan right into that number one seat on pay-per-view. You don't want to be the woman who follows Amanda Nunes as UFC Bantamweight champion of the world, but somebody's got to do it, right? Somebody's going to follow Bill Belichick in New England. And if Mike Vrabel ends up being the guy, you know, all of New England's going to probably have a parade for that hire, Right. I'm happy for Raquel. It feels like a little bit of a lifetime achievement award, but then you look at her resume and there's nothing given about this championship fight for her. You know, whether you want to suggest she's the A side or the B side in any of these equations, she has made herself once again impossible to deny with one of these long form winning streaks. And Maida Bueno Silva, one of the meaner, nastiest women in this division. I absolutely love her style and just has good instincts, good coaches. She adjusts well. Uh, married to the game are both of these women. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. I think they went with the right option here. And uh, Juliana Pena and several others are uh, very curious to see what happens uh, next Saturday night. Yeah, because neither of these women have very good things to say about Juliana Pena. So her waiting in the wings is going to be really interesting. And, you know, perhaps this is the year we see someone like Misha Tate get her chance to regain the title. She looked unbelievable against Julia Avila. And there's some exciting names on the come up, like Melissa Dixon, I thought looked incredible in her debut. She's going to be just a really fascinating story moving up the ranks. I feel like this is going to be a really big year for 135 where it's, you know, Amanda Nunes is her greatness. You can't even overlook that in any way, shape, or form. But I think this is finally the air where I don't know if the depth will come around, but maybe it'll start the depth building process for 135. But I feel like it won't be as hidden as it has been, I guess, in the past, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I'm sort of anti double champion, especially when you're talking about women who haven't or men haven't defended multiple times in that division. But you have Zhang Weili and Alexa Grasso maybe intimating that they could end up unifying and fighting this summer. I, you know, 
135 pounds is interesting. And I think that when you have an elite flyweight that entertains these waters and maybe it's Valentina Shevchenko, I really think that's going to bring some shine to this division. The other thing I would just point to would be availability and the ability to, uh, you know, win the belt in January, defend it ideally in April or May. Lord knows they're going to need title fights, right? I mean, 299, 300, 301, McGregor potentially at 303. You might not need a title fight, uh, but they're going to need title fights, right? So it would certainly behoove Maida Bueno Silva or Raquel Pennington to try to, uh, you know, get through this one cleanly and turn it around. I'm excited about Misha. Uh, you know, Holly home on any given Saturday night can still shine. So we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, Amanda Nunes is not walking through that door. And <clears throat> I think it would take something uniquely special to coax Amanda Nunes out of retirement. A lot of people are very dismissive when I bring up like Larissa Pacheco, but I think it would take somebody like that, that got to a level with multiple championships, even Valentina somehow moving up to Bantamweight. I mean, there are a lot of different things, uh, you know, that could happen, but if you want Amanda Nunes back, one of these women is going to have to be very dominant to entice her. I love the featured bout on this card. Arnold Allen versus Mobzar Vloyev. This is one of my favorite fights on the books thus far in 2024 in general. It's just so good, and the stakes are so high with the title being defended a month later. Oh, this fight's so good, John. It's so good. Dude, Mobzar Yevloyev is just tremendous. I, I, he's truly the guy that I can probably least relate to on the roster in terms of the sheer will, right? I mean, you want to see me quit in my workouts? Like it happens all the time. I mean, I don't really stop, but this guy, the ability to not be submitted against Diego Lopez is obviously front of brain and fresh of mind, but this division has a lot of these sort of elite level guys and there's such a fine line. We saw Arnold Allen and Max Holloway that maybe Arnie wasn't quite there yet, you know, but a lot of us have thought for a long time that he's championship caliber. He just hasn't been in like an active competition schedule. You're right, Mike. This is like high. This is like a championship level fight. I mean, this is a headlining act in terms of just the vast skill sets married to the game. As trite as that sounds to trot that phrase out again, there are a lot of elite fighters that aren't as married to the game as these two individuals. So, yeah, I'm excited to see what happens. Uh, you know, who has the higher ceiling at this point in time? You know, that huge name fight like Holloway has eluded Moff. Sorry, Vloyev a little bit, but uh I'm excited to see what happens on January 20th. Certainly one of the fights that jumps off the car for me. Yeah, we had our predictions extravaganza show where you have to iron out champions. And I took a shot on Mobzar as the featherweight champ at the end of the wow, year. But yeah. featherweight always crushes me, John, because the year that Calvin Cater fought Max Holloway, I picked Calvin Cater. And that that train ended in January. And it could happen here too. I cannot wait for that fight. Uh, card's pretty good. I'm very excited to see Mike Malott back in there against a guy like Neil Magny. A lot of Canadian representation on the card, as you'd expect. It's a it's a good way to kick things off. I got to ask you something because you brought up, you know, the champ champ fights and and you throw out like all these big things that could be. Can I Dana White went on the one of the podcasts with with the Nelk Boys and he was talking about I got something a super fight that we're we're working on and I don't really. Whatever that means, we're going to find out. But the question I asked myself after hearing that is like, what is a super fight anymore? Because we've seen the champ champ thing so many times. Is it about star power? Because to me, like, is Volkanovsky Taporia like the new super fight? Because it's actually a guy fighting the next guy up in his division? Because we've seen this so many times. Like, what is actually a super fight in 2024? 
Great question. I think the most anticipated fights for guys like you and me are like the fight that you just referenced, Alexander Volkanovsky, ready, willing, and able to fight a true number one contender, ideally undefeated, who a lot of people think is a live underdog who can beat him. That's a true super fight. Uh, who knows? I mean, it could be Justin Gaethje and Max Holloway for the BMF belt. That would certainly qualify. I'm just curious how Justin Gaethje factors into all of this recent news, right? We know Armand Sarukian and Charles Oliveira are going to fight at UFC 300 in a lightweight title eliminator. And I guess the winner is going to fight Islam Akasha, but that would mean Justin Gaethje would not necessarily be competing for the undisputed lightweight title. And I know that is his dream and in desire trumping anything financial right now. So who knows what's going to happen? You know, I'm not the only one who can laud Islam Akashev as the best pound for pound fighter in the world while also wanting to see the rightful number one welterweight contender, Bilal Muhammad, get that opportunity. You know, I find it interesting that a lot of public speaking, talking heads will in equal parts campaign for Bilal Muhammad as the most deserving number one contender in any division right now, while also trying to lay the foundation for a super fight between Leon Edwards and Islam Akashev. And I'm not sure that you can have both of those things uh, with immediacy. But right now, I guess there are certain divisions where you could argue it makes sense. Does it make sense for Zhang Wei Li to fight Alexa Grasso because it's UFC 300 and not UFC 317? I don't know. I mean, I think that Yan Xiaonan should fight Zhang Weili, right? So, but I'm not a promoter, right? And I don't know the inner workings of everything that they're dealing with. You know, I'm just a mouthpiece buddy. So we'll see what happens. But uh, the thing is, as we talk sort of full circle about words and actions and Dana White giving this roster of 600 plus sort of carte blanche to say what they say, you know, the same applies so the lead play-by-play -play voice of the UFC, right? I can sit here and say these things to you and not fear for my job in the court of public opinion. This is allowed. And that's why I like working for this guy, you know, even if we don't always agree. Yeah. I, I just, I, I, that's just so curious to me at this point, like what is actually a super fight? I'm so curious at what this UFC 300 lineup is going to look like. And uh, as we record, may even get some answers today, but Saruki and Oliveira is incredible. That is picture perfect matchmaking. I know Oliveira was lined up to get that rematch with Makachev. But I like after Sarukian dusted up Dariush the way that he did in that fashion, like this was the fight to make. This was absolutely the fight to make. And now Justin Gaethje, I had the same reaction as you. Like, where does this leave him? But Sarukian Oliveira is so good. And now Dustin Poirier is fighting Benoit Santini. Are you kidding me, John? This is incredible. Lightweight's the no, best. No, I mean, these individual fights, right? 45, 55, they are just monumental for guys like you and me. These are Super Bowl-like fights. And the fact that Charles Oliveira and Armand Sarukyan, right, I think that it takes two to tango, and especially when guys are both really on paper worthy of title fights right now, to risk that, right? And obviously the promotion is done right by Charles. He's made a lot of money. He has become a Hall of Famer over the last several years. But there are a lot of guys who be like, oh, man, I don't know. You know, I just try to, like, you know, lay back in the cut a little bit and not, you know, fight Armand Sarukyan, but Charles Oliveira wants to prove he's the best. And, uh, I think he thinks he's better than Armand who looks to a lot of us. Like he could be the future at 155 pounds. Yeah. It's as good as it gets, man. And, uh, you know, thankfully years ago, we knew how good Sarukyan was and we started learning how to pronounce his fucking name. <laughs> I've been so high on that guy. It's finally, I, I'm cashing in the money in the bank. You love the guys whose Turkey. names are hard to pronounce. Like you've always loved the Evloyev. Sarukian. Yeah. yeah. 
all these names that have three different pronunciations, but we still know who we're all talking about. And it's great. Uh, You mentioned Connor Chandler coming up in June. At least that's what Connor says. Chandler seems to be mimicking that. There's a little bit of a debate going on on social media right now that I wanted to get your take on. It's pretty fresh as we talk right now. Uh, John Jones and Tom Aspinall getting after it right now. John John Jones banged up, uh, had the torn pec, just had elbow surgery. Tom Aspinall's posting some fun things on TikTok that's gotten John's attention. And now they're battling back and forth about resume and who deserves what. And I hate being Switzerland in these types of situations, but I kind of agree with both guys. I feel like John is, if he retired right now, he's the greatest fighter of all time in most people's minds. And at this point in his career and everything he's accomplished, if he wants to fight Stipe Miocic, he should, he has the right to go after that fight. As Tom Aspinall being the interim champion right now, usually that means you fight in a unification bout. John Jones just happens to the belt. I can understand his frustrations as well. So when you see these two guys kind of go back and forth on social media, how do you feel about that and this whole notion of John and Tom maybe not even fighting each other in a unification bout? Well, it's really tricky for the UFC when the greatest of all time suffers an injury that is going to put him out for a year. So what do you do? Do you strip or ask John Jones to vacate so that when he does fight Tom Aspinall or Stipe Miocic or whomever it is, he is fighting in that fight as challenger? I don't know. I don't know that I would have been able to make that decision as the UFC. This was the risk. Chael Sonnen certainly was not the only one who wondered aloud about having Tom Aspinall and Sergey Pavlovich compete for the interim belt, knowing that John Jones probably would not be able to defend for a year, Right. What do you do if you're Tom Aspinall? I mean, that's my thesis statement on this whole thing. I have long put over John Jones as the greatest mixed martial arts athlete that I have ever seen. I understand he is on the mend. uh, But if you're Tommy Aspinall, what are you supposed to do? I guess you defend the interim championship against somebody like Jailton Almeida. But that's certainly less than ideal. For Tom Aspinall, maybe there have been minor missteps in terms of some of the public comments and the back and forth with John Jones. But overall, Tom Aspinall is just trying to get the fights that he has earned. And when Sergei Pavlovich showed up in his bracket at that time, Sergei Pavlovich was the scariest man in mixed martial arts and he knocked him out. Right. So Tom Aspinall is healthy and ready to compete. So it's messy. It's muddy. I mean, you and I talked about it. And we expected that it was going to be muddy. I think Tom Aspinall is probably going to have to defend the interim belt. And uh, as Bill Belichick would say, it is what it is. <laughs> I I said earlier today on one of my shows that Tom should just act like he should do everything in his power to make his belt seem like the real belt. Just fight as many times as possible. If you have to defend that interim. If you have to go all Hen and Brown, defend that interim title three times this year, do it. If Derek Lewis is the only guy available, even coming off of a loss, and they UFC calls you and says you want to fight Derek Lewis, you say yes, and then you fight the next dude, the Blades Jelton Almeida winner next. That's how you that's how you get John's attention. When you have the masses feeling like Tom's the real champion, John's the paper champion, not saying either is either or at this point, that's how you get John's attention. Doing a TikTok about your hair going gray, waiting for John to come back isn't going to get John's attention. It gets him firing back a little yeah. bit, but it's not going to get him to be like, oh yeah, I want to punch this dude in the face. I think that's fair. And perhaps that was the strategy from the UFC was that Tom was just going to have to defend this thing. And it really is a heavyweight championship fight. And hey, I mean, if if Aspinall fights Stipe in some sort of setting, right? Certainly the John Jones fight could go away if he loses to Stipe, even though he'll be favored uh, against 
me at Chitch given the layoff and everything else, but we'll see what happens. But I agree with you, man. The best way uh, to resonate with anyone, John Jones or otherwise in MMA is to fight and win. And let's close out with the heavyweight champion of our hearts, Francis Ngannou doing the damn thing. The be- the man who has turned the, the the phrase fumbling of the bag into a positive, because let us all strive John Anik to fumble the bag like Francis Ngannou has. Now he's going to box Anthony Joshua. It, it apparently is going to be March 8th. We'll get more information next week, but this is unbelievable. How does this man keep doing this, John? This is incredible. He might as well be the fifth Boston sports team with respect to the <laughs> revolution, because I am rooting so hard for this guy. And I think I speak for, 98, 99% of the MMA fan base were so thrilled for this guy. You know, I remember covering his early UFC fights and having at the top of my Francis Ngannou fighter card. He's from Batik, Cameroon, where the average citizen takes in $1,300 a year, you know, and it's to be where he is at and to be able to not just give back philanthropically and, uh, and do what, for his nation, he probably never dreamed he actually could do. Yeah. But to be, you know, the heavyweight face of combat sports in a lot of respects is well within reach. And I'm just happy that he realized success in that discipline because there were a lot of people who suggested that he would not be able to do that. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know if he's, he's a gentle giant. I think he's misunderstood. You know, I've had so many great interactions with him and, uh, you know, there's just a lot of humility within that man. And he's obviously a product of a, a tremendously hard upbringing. And, uh, I mean, his life has always been a major motion picture and he just keeps making it like more salivating for Hollywood with every, you know, passing decision and performance. So, uh, I'm very happy for him. And, uh, whether it's Lionsgate or somebody else, the Francis Ngannou story probably be the biggest project of your career. So let's get it going. Do you think he ever fights in MMA again? Well, I mean, that's the downside to all of this, right? It's a good follow-up question and uh, a difficult question. It's disappointing if he doesn't, but certainly when he signed with the PFL, uh, I said, it was the first thing out of my mouth, you know, well, we're certainly not going to see this guy fight in MMA till 2024 at the earliest. And now that's not going to happen. So yeah, I mean, I do, I think we'd see him at some point maybe, uh, but not anytime soon and, uh, you know, hard to blame him. He's a man of principle, so I do expect him to fight at some point. But if he goes up and beats Anthony Joshua, boy, uh, that that door closed a little bit more. Um, you know, just like you, John Anik, you're the man, and I appreciate you coming on before all of these big cards. I'm excited for UFC 297 and 298 and 299, and then we go all the way to 300, and we'll see what happens. Leon Edwards versus Bilal Muhammad, maybe at UFC 300. That seems to be what Leon Edwards is saying. Bilal's waiting on the contract, and who knows, by the time this drops, Maybe we already know what the freaking main event is going to be, but uh, a lot going on. And I appreciate you joining us as always. And make sure you check out the Anik and Florian podcast. Just a fantastic program. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. We'll have Mike Malad on in advance UFC 297. And, uh, you know, don't take it from me. Take it from Mike Heck. It's just a tremendous time to be an MMA fan. We can't wait for this first quarter to, uh, to get started. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network.